1: Love The late and we'll get down to that as we again, uh, again you for three
2: game up here. Uh you'll
1: be live inside Yeah, what's
2: going on? Welcome here to the, the show that is not out to basically tell you what's going on as far as facts go. This is all about the court of public opinion. I'm tuning what what's going on, son. My volume was turned down, so as soon as that lag gets away, we're gonna go back to normal. But. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Brad Hicks. This is John Castleberry here on the video feed, also Simon on Blog Talk Radio as well. And tonight, John, we've got a special presentation tonight. We're going to be talking about Harry Hobbs and his perception of guilt in the murders in Wilk, Memphis, Arkansas on May the 6th of 1993. Excuse me, I guess May 6th when they found the bodies the murder was to have happened in and around May the fifth, and so about what nine nine thirty ish. The the victims of the case: Steve Edward Branch, Christopher Mark Byers, and James Michael Moore. Now, of course, the suspects that were found guilty: Damien Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin. All the three eight-year-olds, the victims. Teenagers, the convicted, and of course, they were later released on an alpha plea on August the 19th of 2000. Sean, obviously, this case has been put to bed uh, in the court's eyes, and in the court's eyes, but again, this show is dealing with the uh, basically the monitor that perception is the state of mind. So, Sean, this is where you have some input into. Those listeners that don't understand, okay, they're like, "Well, we got three convicted murderers here. What are we even talking about?" Sean, what are we talking?
3: About? So the West Memphis Three, if you're not familiar with that case, um, it's one of the most famous cases in the nation as far as an offered plea is concerned, and as far as celebrities getting involved into a case trying to sway public opinion, uh, there were three major documentaries made by uh, HBO and uh, this brought a lot of the story to light. And it had a lot of the major players that we'll talk about tonight as well. But one of the things I wanted to say about the West Memphis Three is that there was hardly any physical evidence, and mainly circumstantial evidence, that got them convicted. But what we're going to talk about tonight, of course, is Mr. Terry Hopp. Absolutely. Terry
2: Hop. is if you all don't know, it was Stevie Branch's stepfather. He was married to Pam. If you've watched uh, the the documentary uh, Paradise Lost that HBO produced, I will be honest, Sean. We, let, let's be honest, and that's what we're going to do here, because we're not out here to absolutely throw the, the blanket of guilt upon anybody. We just want to, to lay out the information that that is out there. And there's that whenever it comes to Terry Hobbs, we're going to be talking about an affidavit that was filed in 2014. Uh, against their, or not against, but a statement basically uh, outlining his involvement in in the murders, uh, according to the the party involved. Uh, but uh, it just, Don, this case gets me because Paradise Lost. Let's be honest, there was a lot of bias in hey, Paradise Lost.
3: Hold on, we're, we're, it's uh, he's saying that uh, we got nothing on the live feed as far as uh, sound goes because our mics are turned
2: Wait, on. The mics are turned off. We have nothing on the live
1: feed.
2: on OK, so do right.
1: you have anything on the live feed now?
2: I don't hear you, Sean. Oh, my goodness, is We run the American Idiots with no issue. What is the problem? <laughs> I don't even hear you on blog talk anymore.
4: All
3: right, I'm back on blog talk. Can you hear that? I can hear you there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen,
2: please bear with us. We're working through this. Is, is Michael with us? Where's Michael? Okay, they, they are saying they can't hear us, so we are, we're, we're efforting to fix that. What is the problem to them? I, I, please hang one second with us. We are diligently working on that and audio issue at the moment. Is Michael got to be down there somewhere with Michael? Well, you're on the you're on the board, Michael. So we're running it like a we we're doing it. I don't know. Can you hear the live stream now? Uh, I can't hear Sean, though, on blog Talk, so I'm not sure what's going on. They can hear you on live stream, but I can't, I can't hear you at all. I've got to go through the May hey, Apple. If
3: I unmute the phone, you're going to get all that crazy feedback.
2: I'm not getting any crazy feedback.
3: Okay, so we're good oh, now.
2: So, are we good? Okay, hang on, Sean. Mute your, okay, your mic's muted. Now, put your blog talk up and see if we fix that. What's that? Okay, I've muted your Okay, you are good. So, I believe the producer.
4: Okay.
2: I don't know what, don't touch anything. Our, our producer said don't touch anything. I'm not testing
0: you. Okay. On. Okay.
2: Sorry about so, that. So if we have no audio, here's what we're going to do. This show, again, is not about casting the blanket of guilt on anybody. We want to give you the guilty evidence. We also want to show, okay, if this evidence doesn't make any sense or there's something to cooperate that it's worse force class, then we're going to give that to you. We want you to make up your own opinion because that's what this show is about at least on this focus, is the court of public opinion. If you're not familiar with the case, which there are some that are, there was a three boys, eight-year-old boys, were murdered in West Memphis, Arkansas, on May the 5th of 1993, their bodies discovered May the 6th. The names of those three little boys, and I always mention those first in this case because I want to pay my respects to them. That's Steve Edward Branch, Christopher Mark Byers, and James Michael Moore. Now, a lot of you that may be familiar with this case could be saying, well, Jesse, Miss Kelly, Damian Eccles, and Jason Baldwin all got convicted. What are we even talking about? Well, they did get convicted. But, Sean, I know that there is a lot of doubt in those convictions based upon what?
3: A lack of physical evidence. There was very little physical evidence that actually got them convicted, and most of it was circumstantial at best. Um, And also during that time, if, if, you know, I don't know who's listening right now, but uh, the the millennials probably don't know what satanic panic is, which we do. We grew up during the era of satanic panic, and uh, it was a witch hunt. They went after these three boys because they wore dark clothes, listened to heavy metal, and were into, you know, being atheists basically. And uh, they they just uh, – they brought in this hack who wasn't even a religious expert. Who uh, was some fundamentalist, you know, evangelical Christian that basically took the stand and said that they were worshiping the devil and sacrificing to the devil, and uh, it was all ridiculous and bullshit. But that persuaded the jury at the time to convict the West Memphis Three, mainly over opinion that these men were evil, not based off that circumstantial evidence.
2: Right, and Sean, you no, know, th- you know, we have to go back to. The time period in which this occurred, of course, 1993, in a small town called West Memphis, poor town just on the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, what what it basically is boiling down to, though, is again, these these group of kids are widely accepted today. Uh, and Michael keeps dropping into that. We may have lost audio on the live stream for a minute. But um, I hope not. Um, uh, mine dropped, but we're back anyway. The the issue though is that, I'm, like you said, let's just go ahead and dive into it. So because we don't need to, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Hopefully they can hear us. Um, if not, I'm sorry. We're, we're we're diligently working on this anyway. Uh Jerry Hobbs, the stepfather of Stevie Brant, Sean, is who we're going to discuss tonight. And then again, right. like you were. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a theory about what could have happened the night of May the 5th, 1993. But, Sean, this is a theory supported by a bunch of statements, interviews, affidavits, and allegedly the included confessions of Buddy Lucas and L.T. Holmes were done.
3: Right. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, know, when 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 we started talking about this, you know, just a few days ago, I hadn't looked a lot into Terry Hobbs. Um, I mean, he just recently passed away, you know, and that's that's why we wanted to bring this up and talk about his case. And, you know, I didn't realize how much evidence actually did point at the guy. And it's
2: it's insane
3: how the police didn't look into this at all, hardly at all.
2: They didn't. And, you know, I think one of the things, and, and Michael dropped in that, I'm not sure uh, if you want to chat in the room, Michael, but, uh, you know, literally... We have, we have a room? Well, I mean, we have a, a production room over here that I'm reading off of, but uh, if anybody's listening to the show and wants to comment and they hear the show, I, you know, we're, we're trying diligently. We, we run this on American Idiots without a problem, but uh, it is what it is. Um, but... You know, in a case like this, I think one of the things that sticks out in your mind is that the family are some of the very first to be interviewed and questioned by the police involving these situations. So and they never did that. uh, And we'll get into one. I guess we could start, Sean. I guess one of the best starting points is that so the boys were, I guess, supposedly supposed to be home around 6, 7 o'clock-ish. And, and 6 o'clock is one of the last sightings of the three little boys before they were found the next morning in that shallow grave in the ditch. Uh, but they, Terry uh, Hop, it's 9 15, ish, I believe, in that area. And he goes to pick up his wife who's working at a diner. And he instinctively calls the police from the diner and reports his kids missing. John, the first question that I raised to you is, why did you not wait till you got home to call in the kids missing when they could have potentially been at home? Maybe they got out late and they finally wandered their way back to the home and you called them. Why didn't you wait to, to call the police when you got back home from picking up your wife? And then you failed to notify your wife they were missing until after you had made the phone call. So... I don't know, Sean. I really don't. It, that that's uh, the first of the of the many pieces of this that really that really ponder and raise questions for me.
3: No, I thought that was a uh, very odd. You know, she had to find out from her child that was waiting in the car because he was on the payphone in the restaurant where he picked her up, calling the police. I mean, why didn't he call the police before he picked her up? Why didn't he walk in right away and tell her, "Honey, the kid's missing. I don't know what to do." You know, um, it's it's just very strange. The behavior that he displayed that night, everything that he did was absolutely strange. And again, the, the police, you know, normally the police will look at, you know, especially when a child's involved, the parents. And normally when a child is murdered, you know, if a step parent is involved, you know, likely that's, that's your prime suspect right there. You know, there's usually a lot of animosity, whatever, it could be abuse, different things like that. And we'll talk more about that. But, you know, that just would have been one of the first things that I would have done is like gather all the, the parents together. and I would have just grilled them to find out where, where have you been tonight? What's your alibi? What's going on here? You know, and it doesn't right. seem that the police, the police were just like, I don't know if it was that good old boy mentality you know, was this a bunch of white cops dealing with a bunch of white people? And they were just like, oh, you know, uh, we'll we'll take care of this. We'll find out who did it. You guys go home. We'll take care of it. You know, that whole uh, right. good old boy. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I mean, again, I wasn't there. I, I was actually in the Army at the time, uh, stationed at Fort Bragg, when all this was going down. So I was extremely interested in the case, but um, – Man, yeah, I mean, just a lot of people don't realize how, you know, ass-backwards Arkansas really is. I mean, you watch the Dukes of Hazard from, you know, the 1970s, and that's how a lot of these places are today. It's kind of yeah. redneck and fucked up.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess, John, um, what we really need to do is, is kind of go over, uh, before we go over that timeline of how these events may have unfolded, we really need to, uh, you know, have an understanding of what happened that day. And I think one of the most essential pieces, John, from came from uh, Aaron Hutchinson, a friend, of Stevie, Michael, and Chris. Because the day after the boys went missing and before they were even found, Michael Moore's parents asked Aaron's mother, Vicki Hutchinson, if Aaron could be removed from school to help find the boys. Now, if anyone might know where the boys were going to or what their plans had been, it would have most likely been Aaron. Uh, Vicki, in an interview in 1993, is quoted as saying he stayed. So um, I went down to the Moore's house to see Todd and Dana, and, you know, just to see you know what was going on. And um, Todd asked me, Vicki, do you think maybe Aaron knows where they're at? And I said, I don't know. I'll be glad to go get him if you think it will help. If you talked to him and he said I would really appreciate it, and um, I went up and talked to Miss Moore and she got Aaron out of class. I took Aaron to Todd Dana's house. Todd asked Aaron if he might know did Chris or Michael say anything to him, to the effect where they might be. He said no. Um, you know you can tell when your child is lying, and it was like he knew something was up. And uh, he said after we had left the Moors coming out of their door, he told me Mama. Let's go to the clubhouse. We need to go to the clubhouse. Now, the clubhouse, Sean, was a spot where the boys would go play in the Blue Beacon Woods. Now, if you look at the scene now, it's open field. I've actually visited it there a few times. But the clubhouse was mainly a concealed spot where the boys would play. I don't feel it was an actual clubhouse. And the Blue Beacon Woods was connected to the Robin Hood Hill, which was the last place the boys had been spotted on the night of the fifth. So, um, you know, now when the boys were discovered, they were found in the Blue Beacon Woods right next to the alleged clubhouse where the boys played. And then you get into the Detective Ridge uh, statement. But, Sean, you know, you're following. And if you really want, you know, we're going to try to give you what we can give you. Uh, the, the gentleman over at the West Memphis Puzzle.blog has really put together an intricate piece. Here and, and we're going kind of by that because it lays it out pretty good. Stuff. Um, but it's it's interesting, you know, that this Aaron kid has put the boys at the clubhouse, and saying that they need to go to the clubhouse. That really piques my interest at that point where we're sitting in this timeline. Right, right,
3: yeah. Um, you know, the the, the one kid knew knew where they were going to be. I mean, that was a friend of theirs, and he hung out with them. So uh, why wouldn't you ask that kid? Why wouldn't you go with that kid? Why wouldn't you use that kid as, uh, you know, a a source of information? You know, again, this was another failing on the part of the police department. And uh, when they finally did get around to it and they started asking the questions, uh, the things that he told them, I mean, uh, this story's never changed. It's been consistent for the 20-some-odd years that they've been going through this, and several people have collaborated his you know, claims of what he says that he witnessed and the things that he is pervy, uh, you know, that he has a uh, knowledge of. And again, I just, I don't understand. There was a lot of corruption in the West Memphis police department at that time as well too. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the police records and what was going on there, uh, a few of those officers were indicted for embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars, as you know, drug money and different things like that. I mean, it's right there on the border in Memphis. It's in the tri-state area, Memphis, and I mean, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas. So a lot of drugs on I-40 go through that that area. Um, you know, one of one of the uh, one of the other uh, parents of, of one of the victims was actually a, a supposed uh, drug inform informant you know, for the police, and uh, was able to afford a really nice house with a pool, and uh, they never could figure it out because, you know, he was unemployed. So, yeah, there's just a lot of crazy stuff about this.
2: Exactly. And to kind of surmise, John, what I'm reading here, you know, because there is a lot of information, and we want to put that out there, Uh, if, if we want to understand why the boys may have been killed in the woods, then we need no, we not, we need not look further than Aaron's own statement made to the police shortly after the murder. And of course, just to sum this up to a degree, you know, Ridge uh, asked, "Hold on, I'll him? be right back." Okay. Well, Tom Ridge uh, asked, "Did you see them the day before they got killed?" Of course, Aaron says, "Yes, sir." He says, "What happened that day when you got out of school? What, uh, what, what was it that you were going to do that day?" And, before they did anything, they went up to the mama's truck and they asked her if he could go over to Michael um, and play with them over, you know, the club was. All right, you know, you've been to the club before. Aaron is inaudible in that statement. But basically he tells him where, the, where it's at. It's at the the, that the club in, in the woods is over there where the stop sign is. Um, it is over on, uh, if, you, if you've if you never been to the area, there's a place right over there on McCullough. I believe it's McCullough Lane or whatever. And that's where the pipes and the entrance to this goes. He asked, Do you go down there a lot? He says, yeah, we go down there, you know, most of the time. Michael and Chris do. And here's where it gets Sorry about that. Oh, so here's where it gets interesting. Bridges has verified the entrance to the woods via the stop sign at McCullough Drive or whatever it is. I can't remember exactly. Um, And he asked Aaron, well, what do you do when you go down there? Aaron says, we played, Okay. Ridge goes, did you ever? And Aaron goes, and then sometimes we watch these men. Well, this intrigues Ridge a little bit. And he goes, these men, okay, what were these men doing? And Aaron goes, they were doing nasty stuff. Now, this is an 8-year-old boy, Sean. So, obviously, he's going to describe what he is seeing as nasty stuff, you know. Uh, right. Ridge goes, nasty stuff? Well, where did you see them? He goes, in Robin Hood, you know, the place where the boards are. And Rich goes, okay, what were they doing? And then this is what Aaron's men and women would be doing. Or Rich says that, and, and Aaron goes, yes. And so he says, when I say having sex, is that what you're describing? And Aaron says, yes, sir. Now, how would they have sex? Aaron says, well, they would wipe each other like, um, you know, um, to Michael, Chris, and Steve, they said, with their mouth. Were they having sex with their mouth? He says, yes, sir. And it gets really intense in, in, in this whole deal. And so, basically, he's setting this timeline up of going through there. Now, we can go through there and he, and he sets up the date stuff like that, but he's witnessed this multiple times uh, that this has occurred, And you've read this, so your take on what you're hearing so far is this 8-year-old boy has described to achieve this location, the uh, initial acts of sexual activity involving some men, uh, and that they've seen it before. So where where are you at right now when, when you read that part of this puzzle that was piecing together? tonight?
3: So like I was saying before, I hadn't heard any of this stuff before. Uh, you know, when I started looking into it, uh, you pointed me to this page in particular. And, uh, yeah, reading this kid's affidavit, uh, what he was saying was like, whoa, like what the hell is this? Uh, this kid has been spying on grown men out in the woods you know, uh, engaging in sex acts and, uh, two of the kids that are the victims have been going out there too. Uh, one of the kids has not. And, uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, that, that happened to be Terry Hobbs, you know, uh, stepson and, uh, they didn't tell him about it. And there's, I think that, I think that's a tell as well. You know, the fact that they didn't share that with him, I think, uh, maybe he would have freaked out. Maybe he might've said something. Um, now, why were they watching these guys, you know, over and over again? Why didn't they tell on them or say anything? I don't know. I mean, I'm not them. You know, again, it's 20-something years ago. Don't have a clue. But, uh, again, when you look at the affidavit, everything that he's saying, this story has not changed in all this time. And there are several other witnesses that have corroborated this story as well.
2: Absolutely. And, Don, I'm, I'm going through this. Kind of following this timeline presented to the readers. Of course, again, you can go to the West blog. This guy has really laid this out. It's very interesting. Yes. But, you know, he says right here, he's like, if you want to believe, if we believe these statements, which he believes are very plausible, now you have your motive for murder, but the very basis for what might have occurred in the woods on May the 5th. Uh, there was right. evidence to suggest that Aaron was telling the truth about the clubhouse because wooden planks were in fact found and collected by the police. John. So there, right. you talk about that that empirical evidence that that was lacking for yeah. the Western Street. We've got it right here. These wooden planks that this eight-year-old boy has described as being in the woods at that exact location were there. Right.
3: So, yeah, in fact, uh, uh, some of the markings that were on the bodies, they couldn't they couldn't quite uh, figure out. What had made those? And you know, he he describes all the two by fours that were laying around, and and you know, people have gone back and actually matched the way those two by fours looked to the scars, you know, from the autopsy photos and everything, and they're almost a perfect match. And it seems that you know that that these grown men probably, you know, just grabbed these two by fours and beat the hell out of these little boys. You know, Uh, again, we haven't got to that part of the story yet, but. Um, you know, uh, you have motive, like you said. You also have uh, the murder
2: weapon. Exactly, and here's here's what here's what's interesting, John. Uh, now, the evidence is suggesting that about the wooden planks that were collected by the police. Christopher Byers, brother and others have also confirmed that the boys would play that played in those woods very often. And the very first statements made by both Aaron and Vicky were that that Aaron and the boys played in those woods, secretly watched men engage in sexual activity. Now, additionally, approximately a month before the murders, a friend of Byers, Chris Byers' his brother, claimed to have seen Michael and Chris, two 8-year-old boys, mind you, with their pants down, simulating a sexual act in the exact way that homosexual men perform sex. One boy was standing up and bent over, and the other boy was standing behind him, And they both had their pants down. What are the chances, Sean, that boys would act out the way homosexual men have sex in addition to one of them saying they watched homosexual men having sex and it not be true? I mean, there's a possibility that it's not true. Don't get me wrong. That's not what we're here to say. But what is the possibility that it's not true?
3: No, uh, I mean, these kids... Uh, they had to learn this somewhere. They had to have observed what was actually happening, and kids are going to do what they see. You know, um, we we as a species aren't born with the instinct to know how to copulate. We just, you know, we, I mean, we will eventually figure it out. It's kind of funny how it happens sometimes, but, uh, you know, that's why little boys look at corn and different things like that. You know, uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, a lot of people don't get the talk like they should with their, you know, their parents as far as, uh, uh, you know, the birds and the bees and everything. So, uh, yeah, these kids, uh, they saw these grown men doing this. Yeah, I mean, if they were acting that out, it's it's because they saw it. I mean, that only makes sense. It's reasonable to actually assume that.
2: You know, and and Sean on this site that's a uh you know, that furthermore proves the point that they found. By right the time that Aaron Hutchinson claimed that they had first seen the men in the woods, another coincidence, you know, we'll let you decide later. But, you know, unfortunately now the police, of course, like you stated earlier, had had so much tunnel vision, Sean, that they had believed that the perpetrators were right. uh, basically uh, ignoring the statements of Aaron, uh, Aaron uh, you know, real, what he had really revealed. And they unwittingly led Aaron away from the helping them find the crew killers. Uh, according right. to what, if you want to believe this, um, they were so sure, Sean, that these were done by Satanic satanic rituals, that were done by teenagers. They were sure of it. And they were so desperate to make sure that that point stuck, actually uh, landed his statements to become uh, way more fantastical and implausible. What they, you know, they discredited him a lot. Uh, huh. yeah. Now, according you know, I
3: mean... I mean, if you've watched yeah. the first 48 different different shows like that, when they're interrogating people, when they're questioning people, you know, unfortunately, the police try to lead people in the direction they want a lot of the time. So they want a confession. They want someone to actually say, hey, this is what happened. And uh, if they have evidence that they haven't shared with the public and this person actually says something, they're like, wow, this guy actually did it. Um, but when they're dealing with children, More likely than not, they're leading them into the narrative of what they want. And if they're not hearing what they want, you know, like this, they were out there uh, with pentagrams, sacrificing babies. You know, they didn't hear that, so they didn't want to hear his story. You know, they didn't want to hear about, you know, a bunch of guys out there having homosexual, you know, uh, sex and and things like that. That just wasn't a part of their narrative. Their narrative was the satanic panic. Uh, This was a cult ritual. That's what they wanted. And until they found their way to get that, uh, unfortunately, they ignored everything else.
2: Yeah, they did. And I think one of the bigger things too to do this is that if had the police followed this, message, then they would have uh, been looking for rumored and or known homosexual or bisexual men aged 20 to 30 years old. And people who were free to, to frequent the woods in the afternoons from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. At, at night, Monday through Thursday, additionally, they would have spoken to someone who lived in the West Memphis and knew the Blue Beacon Woods well. Now, China, interestingly enough, in 2013, Mark Byers, uh, who just recently passed away from a car wreck not too long ago last week, and Pam Hicks, uh, Harry Hobbs' wife at the time and Stevie Branch's mother, had hired a lawyer to help them look into some evidence in the prosecution's possession. While searching through that evidence, they found their lawyer and a private investigator found a letter written to prosecutor Scott Ellington in February. And in this letter, they named uh, a man named Benny Guy revealed that in 1994, two teens, Buddy Lucas and L.C. Hollingsworth, had confessed to him that they had been involved in the murders with two other men. Terry Hobbs, stepfather of one of the murder boys and David Jacoby. Now, the interesting thing we'll talk about with David Jacoby, Sean, is that David Jacoby's alibi does not check out, and he was one of Terry Hobbs' main alibis in that time frame of that 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. time frame that they had.
4: Right.
3: So, uh, hold on. So, I think I'm a little confused. I'm confused about something. Um, who was it that passed away last week? Was that, was that Terry Hobbs or was that
2: Byers? John Mark Byers, the the Terry Hobbs is still alive and well. He's actually written a book. Uh okay. but John Mark Byers was the the one to now John Mark Byers, you know, he was enlisted as an initial suspect. Um he is still, you know, being looked at. I mean he's not been a obviously there's nothing due to it now, but you know, his wife died of mysterious circumstances not too you know, not too long after this. Uh but he was the right. one Burning hell, Damien, you know, that guy. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, that was him. He's the one that passed away last week in a car wreck.
3: Okay. I uh, was confused. I actually, I actually thought that that was Terry Hobbs that had passed away. So I was wrong about no. that. I'm sorry that I said that earlier. So Terry Hobbs no, is Terry still alive. Hobbs, We're sitting here talking all this shit about him. That's uh, that's creepy. Yeah. He is
2: actually <laughs> alive and and, and, and and, you know, I actually was able to talk to him a little bit in, in a show that we have on Blog Talk Radio, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is a creep. he's a creepy guy. Uh, he has a past of violence. I think one of the interesting you, things, you, if you look at the evidence and, and how the boys are, he he was yeah. a slaughterhouse guy, Sean. I mean, he worked in a slaughterhouse, so yeah, he he's knew. A butcher. He's a butcher. And so. Yeah. But you you know, say you interviewed him? Well, I didn't interview him. Uh, Michael Carnahan and, and uh, Lisa O'Brien actually had him on the show talking about his book, A Box Full of Nightmares, or something to that effect. I don't remember what book. Really? I actually got to ask no him a couple shit. of questions. Yeah, well, I was actually sidelined because I was actually told I could not ask any questions. And, you know, out of respect for a guy like that, not out of respect for him, but out of respect for that show, You know, guys like that, once you put the heat on them, we're going to just hang up. So I didn't really want to ask him any pertinent questions about his involvement potentially, because then he would just, you know, leave the show because he was there. Because as we know, Lisa O'Brien, without a shadow of a doubt in her mind, believes that the West Memphis Three are as guilty as as the day is long. Right. And there's no changing her mind anyway. So we literally had a love fest with Terry Hobbs that night. And it is what it is. I mean, it's her show, it's her format. I was just fortunate enough to. I did get a couple of good questions in there. Uh, you know, right. they were kind of a – they were a little, you know, and I tried to do what I could, but it didn't really. You know, but anyway, um, but Buddy Lucas and L.T. Hollingsworth play a, a pretty key role in this timeline so, um, as far as that goes, because apparently um, Terry Hobbs would make these two these two kids wrestle each other and he would watch them and become aroused I guess and, and, and have them do certain things to each other. You know, I don't want to get into too much graphic detail of the show, but um you know it's just weird.
3: Yeah, and, and Terry Hobbs and his buddy David Jacoby, uh they were known to have frequented a uh you know, homosexual bar in the Memphis area. And had been seen here, uh on, on, on several occasions, uh, according to all these affidavits and everything, uh, again, from, from other witnesses. And, uh, you know, he was known to go to Memphis with this guy, Jacoby, and uh, holding hands. You know, they had a type of relationship. Uh, I, I don't hold hands with men. Uh, that's something that, uh, you know, American heterosexuals just really don't do unless it's like your family, you know, an old uncle, your grandfather, maybe your son Um, But two, uh, you know, supposed heterosexual men don't just walk around holding hands So, uh, you know, is that a smoking gun? No, I mean, it's hearsay Uh, But there were enough people that knew about that, you know, back in the day People, he had a reputation, that's another thing too Um, Terry Hobbs had a reputation of being a drug abuser Uh, Meth, cocaine, marijuana, um, and, and he had his drug dealers and the drug dealers all said the same thing. Yeah, man, that dude's straight up gay. So, uh, was he out there in the woods with these, you know, boys making them wrestle and uh you know having a big orgy out there? Don't know. I mean, uh again, that's what the kids said they were watching these men do, and Terry Hobbs and Jacoby e happened to be the two that they said were there. You know, constantly. Uh, the other two, I'm not sure about that. I think they were there that that last time.
2: Right. Well, and to corroborate this letter that was found, the lawyer right. for buyers and Hicks contacted one of Benny's friends, Billy Stewart, who confirmed that one of the teens, Buddy Lucas, had admitted to his involvement in the murders of the other three men. Now, here's the kicker, Sean. Now, none of these men had any reason to lie. Or even tell their story, if not for justice. Because not not only did they not ever contact the Eccles defense team in in search of a deal for their health, Buddy Guy didn't even send his letter to the prosecutor until the West Memphis Three were out of prison. Now, I feel the reason for this was because Benny knew no one would listen to him as long as someone else was locked up for the crime. You know, Billy was merely contacted to cooperate the letter, which he did. And he told the exact same story, even though the two men were not in prison together. Their affidavits can be read here and here, and that's on this website. So interesting that both Guy and Stewart have tried since 1994, 13 years before Terry and David were even suspects, to tell the authorities what they had been told. Tragically, for all involved, no one ever seemed interested to return their phone calls. So, I mean,
3: right? You know? I mean, again, this is just a. It's 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 like uh, you know, stacking stacking the dominoes, man. I mean it's just like one thing right after another and it just keeps building the case against this guy. Um but there's more.
2: There's there's a lot more. Uh so here we go, Sean. We'll we'll skip a little bit ahead and so if you're wanting to believe this story, Sean, let's let's dissect uh how these events may have unfolded that day, shall we? Okay. Right. So at two thirty, Pam Stevie and Amanda walk home from school. Pam begins making dinner and getting ready for work. Okay? Now right. if we wanna if, if you wanna verify that, the is not available on their website, but at three fifteen Michael Moore shows up, asks if Stevie can ride bikes together. Pam concedes on one condition that they must be home by four thirty or he will be grounded from his beloved bike for two weeks. He promises, yeah, Mom, I'll do it, they leave. Okay, so 3.30. Christopher shows up looking for the boy. He ends up staying and watching TV with Mandy. At 4 o'clock, Chris leaves Pam's house to meet up with Stevie and Michael, who are out riding their bikes in the neighborhood. 4.30, Terry Hobbs comes home. 4.50, Terry takes Pam to work, but first drives by the moors looking for Stevie, who did not come home by 4.30. Carrie and Pam see Dawn more and tell her they are looking for Stevie. She hasn't seen him or Michael at this point. Here's where we go. 5 o'clock, Carrie Hobbs drops Pam off work. What happened next is your theory, and it is that is supported by evidence Interview. interviews. Carrie Hobbs was basically shown unaccounted for from 5 p.m. till approximately 9 p.m. the night of the fifth. And that's right. supported by evidence in theory. So, He's not accounted for from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. after he drops Pam off at work. And this is where this really becomes interesting. I mean, you know, Sean, you've read it so far. I mean, what what do you think when you read this and you, you think, what, is, what goes through your mind when you know that Terry Hobbs was unaccounted for from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. with evidence and statements to back that up?
3: I mean, you have a four-hour window right there. Four hours. Um, and if anyone's familiar with, uh, you know, this case, where this all took place, the mileage, the, the four hours is enough time to do everything that happened to those four kids.
1: You right look kid. like
3: Samuel L. Jackson there. For a second, from Pulp Fiction, when you were drinking that soda.
2: (laughs) Yes. Can I have a bit of that tasty beverage? Uh, Yes. So, so here's the theory that they've come up with, John, and and it it's all theory, but it but because he has no alibi, it's alleged that in theory that Terry comes home at about right after five, and this is when Stevie was headed to the house. Now, this is corroborated by various accounts. Okay, and also by the fact that Stevie was not a child who disobeyed his parents. In 2011, Jamie Ballard, her sister, and her mother came forward when they discovered that Terry Hobbs claimed to have never seen the boys on the fifth. According to Jamie and her family, the boys were playing in her backyard and then flew out on the sidewalk and headed towards the Hobbs' home. Right as this happened, Terry, who was their neighbor, called Stevie to come home. Jamie and her sister then said that this occurred around 630 while their mother believes that the boys were playing in their um, backyard somewhere between five thirty and six thirty. So we have an alibi for Terry Hobbs up until six thirty. Okay. Then after right. there this show is not gonna lead you in the, it says five to approximately nine. But we do have a an eyewitness to his whereabouts at six thirty. That still leaves John almost two and a half hours.
3: Two and a half so, yeah, two and a half hours, which is still more than enough time to do everything that happened to those kids.
2: Exactly. Now uh, now the mother again they believe that. So now the three women are correct in that they saw the three boys. I simply believe that they uh, got confused on the time that occurred. Memories of events are easy to remember specific times which they are are different. We know that. I mean you can remember something and be like, Well, I don't remember exactly when that sent. Um, right. now then this was eighteen later. Eighteen years later. So you have to take in it eighteen years later. Uh, for one, and for two, there were multiple sightings of the boys from 6 to 6.30 on the street beside the woods, quite right away from the Hobbs' home, as well as the woods itself. One woman in particular, said she saw the boys inside the woods from her truck with traffic was low. she claimed to have seen them near the spot where they were murdered somewhere between 6 to 6.30. This would make the Ballard sighting of 6.30 next to impossible, if not impossible, considering that they, that they were found in the woods and that the time of death was likely 7 p.m. So 7 p.m., John is when they're ruling that the time of death potentially occurred. Right. So that's and interesting. if it was now,
3: 7... Yeah, if that, if that was at 7 p.m., that still gives Terry Hobbs two hours to get back to pick up his wife. You know, from 7 p.m. Right. until 9 p.m. Plenty,
2: of time. They Plenty of time. And tested the and they are credible sources that saw Terry Hobbs at 6.30. So... Really, you got to—if you want to believe that they saw him at six thirty and with the boys, Tom. Um, there, I mean, there we are in, in that in that deal, you know. But now, there's more evidence to support that the boys were Terry around five p.m. Because see, before Pam went to work, she made a dinner of green beans and steak. When Stevie's autopsy was right. performed, a partially digested green vegetable-like substance was found in his stomach. I mean,
1: John. I, let's I just go back
2: to when the show started. There's evidence here. I mean, I, let's be—I mean, I'll be honest with you, John. I'm not like I said. This show's not about what we think as far as what we believe in this case. But let's be honest. If this evidence is presented in a court of law, there's way more physical evidence that would tie Terry Hogs plausible suspect than really was ever. Presented of law of the three
3: right. the less of the three. And you haven't even gotten to the physical evidence yet.
2: No, I mean you know, this is no, all no, the
3: cer- mean, this is know. all this is all the circumstantial evidence place, placing him, you know, in the timeline. We're placing him no, right there at no. the murder scene. Right. And and we're working our way to the actual physical evidence that ties Terry Hobbs to this. And there is physical evidence. That ties Jerry Hobbs to this crime And it's mind-blowing It's mind-blowing And being a butcher had a lot to do with
2: that I mean, Sean I mean, it is, uh, you know, what's crazy, though is, is, is I would say that Okay, if if you have And, let, and I want to talk about this for just a second But you have The evidence that Pam Made that dinner be To find A partially digested green vegetable like substance in this kid's stomach. Let's be honest. That almost lends to the credibility of physical evidence because where else did that come from?
3: That kid had dinner at home.
2: Yeah. So that puts him there at around 5 o'clock. Now, it says this lends credibility to the theory that Stevie, in fact, did go home and even ate dinner. No matter what the green vegetable Stevie ate, the fact that it was a green vegetable and then partially digested, keyword are partially digested. So, I mean, I'm right. no physical expert as far as the body goes, but I'm, I'm assuming now that upon you passing away, the system would shut down. Now, the acidic acid would continue to eat away, I would imagine. But I would imagine that the digestive process would still stop. I don't know that to be a fact. But the parts, now, if they had been digested completely, I could understand, you know, then you could lend some deniability to that. But it does show that TV had to have eaten some vegetables sometime between 5 and 630, because as we know, it takes 45 minutes to two hours to digest those vegetables. And we also know that experts believe that the boys were murdered around 7 o'clock. That, 7 p.m. Yes. Oh so, yeah. Partner. I mean that
3: just. That's that's more of the evidence stacking up right there on top of each other. We're just building that case, you know. And, and had we presented this case as lawyers, as prosecutors against Terry Hobbs, I believe he would have been prosecuted. But again, we still haven't got to the meat of it yet.
2: No, and, and we know that Pam regularly made dinner at four thirty. Obviously Stevie had to know that he was that there was gonna be dinner there. He had to come home, he ate. Even hey, Terry said hey, they hey. usually ate dinner before Pam left for work. That's out of his own mouth. So uh it's much more plausible that he would have come home not much later than that time and had dinner and additionally Steve and by both Pam and Terry's account was a well behaved boy who didn't really disobey. That was that was their you know, their own work. And now not only did Terry whip Stevie for not listening, but Pam was strict as well. So Stevie was disciplined, very, very strict for if he had disobeyed and and whatnot. So I can only imagine that if he hadn't returned home for over two hours past his time, then I can only imagine what would have happened. Plus, I don't believe that he would have wanted to lose his bike privileges. He loved that bike, according to his own mother uh he loved that bike and, and it was something that he didn't want to lose. Right. And um, so you know, and so I'm just I'm really kind of reading through this trying to piece this together as far as so we have so if we were trying this in court, Sean, we have the physical evidence that gives us a timeline of, yeah. of between five ish and 6 uh for for receiving for there. Yes,
3: um, and, and we're also and we're anyways, also building upon we're building a motive right sorry. now too. We haven't quite got there yet, but uh you mentioned something as far as the discipline the discipline of of, of what Terry Hobbs did to his stepson um i mean even- even the mother said that it was excessive you know in her own words you know, that it was excessive uh you know most people would consider that abuse
2: you and know it, and it's crazy son that that uh what what we're seeing here because you know i've read this and then i've had other people that have read this and they literally they're, they're so convinced that we're getting there we promise but there's so much to get to we're trying to get there as quick as we can um right so lastly david jacoby friend of terry hoff testified that when terry arrived at his home at 5 30 he asked terry where stevie was david jacoby claimed that terry said that stevie was out riding his bike. And he told them to be back before dark. That was his exact statement. Uh, so let's keep that in mind. And keeping in this theory, in this case, that we would be presenting to, the, to you, the public, we would say that Terry and Amanda returned home a little after five, shortly after arriving home. Terry was down in his driveway with Amanda. Saw the boys outside the Ballard. Called them to come to house. This is most likely when Stevie asked Terry if he could continue riding bikes with friends. With the known evidence, of course, the notion that Terry's a Stevie went inside to eat dinner first. And we also believe that this is why the boys got separated. Had, if Stevie was going to go inside and eat dinner, this might have led to Chris Byers then deciding to go home too, two, knowing that he would also get in trouble if he didn't show up. They probably all promised speculation, they all probably promised to meet up a bit and head, and, head, and Chris headed home. Now, this is supported. So, you know, this is where the defense will go off, you to know, whatever. Whatever they say, I'm not a legal guy either. But Mark Byers, in his testimony, supports this, that he claimed that Chris had attempted to break into the house sometime near 5 p.m. but could not get in. When Mark arrived home at 5.20 and left shortly to go pick up his other son, he saw Chris riding his skateboard in the street. The theory, though, would be that Chris had tried to get into the home and failed and was headed back to Stevie house when he was picked up by his dad instead. Mark took his home, thanking him for being in the middle of the street and not waiting at home, told him to clean the carport and left him there cleaning at 5.30. So we're at, we're at this point, Sean. Now, 5.30 comes along. you got, according to Terry right. Hobbs and Jacoby, Terry and Amanda show up at Jacob uh, approximately 5.30, The theory would be that Stevie finished dinner, took off with Michael and began to find Chris, while Terry and Amanda then headed over to the the Jacoby's home. Terry claims that, now let's be honest, Terry, Amanda, Amanda now is Terry and Pam's daughter. Um, Stevie is a stepson to Terry, but actually the physical daughter of Terry and Pam is Amanda, just to let everybody know that. So now Terry claims that he dropped Amanda off with Bobby, David's wife. And that he and David then scoured the neighborhood looking for Stevie, which makes no sense. Jacoby claims that Terry showed up in a two-play guitar for an hour, which also doesn't add up when you know all the details. David, which um, yep. probably also claimed to have seen the three boys in the street at the time, one on a skateboard and the others on bikes. I think Jacoby made a mistake, a slip, when he claimed that he saw the three boys, two on the bikes and one on the skateboard, when Terry showed up. The problem with this statement. Is for one, Jacoby claims he asked Terry where Stevie was. Why would he ask Terry where Stevie was if he literally had seen them riding on the street? You know, I mean, you know, I've heard of. uh, (laughs) It's Sean. I'm telling you, like even even if you go through this timeline multiple times, it it it, it's mind blowing, and we're not even there yet. We're not right,
3: right, and. And then, you know, I'll pick up from there where you were just at. So this person uh, that wrote this
4: uh,
3: essay here, he said, so here here's my theory of what happened. He says, Terry showed up at his good friend David's house to drop off Amanda, which was his daughter, so he and David could go buy marijuana. Nothing wrong with that if you're just going to go out and have some recreational weed, whatever. Uh, you have to remember that during this time, these two men were quite young, mid-20s to mid-30s. They had just gotten off of work. They had David's wife, Bobby, to watch the kids and was at work. Stevie was playing with his friends and wouldn't be back until 8 p.m. This gave these men two and a half hours to let off some steam, possibly drink, get high. You know, it happens. Young people do things like that. Now, this person says, I believe that David did ask Terry where Stevie was when Terry showed up at 530. And Terry told him the truth. Stevie was riding his bike and would be back by dark, which was around 8 p.m. You know, this is summertime. Uh, then he says, "I believe the men left around 5:45, headed out of West Memphis towards the Lakeshore Trailer Park where Terry's alleged drug dealer lived, and uh, from there it continues. Sometime right after 5:30, according to the buyers, uh, Chris took off again from his house. According to the known evidence, Stevie and Michael went to Buyers right around 5:30. Uh, again, this is the writer in his opinion was right after they left uh, Hobbs' home." They then picked up Chris, uh, as evidence shows, and the three headed on their bikes and skateboard riding up 14th Street right before 6 p.m. They were riding around the street. Terry and Dave, David uh, drove by on Barton. Barton would have led them directly out of the neighborhood, taking them to 7th Street, which leads up to Lakeshore. And David saw them in the street. This is the reason why David remembers the three playing two on bicycles, one on a skateboard. Chris was only spotted on the skateboard up until 6 p.m. from 6 p.m. on. He had left his skateboard in the street and hopped on the back of Stevie's bike. So, you know, that corroborates, you know, the, the story of the, what the one guy says. And uh, he kind of, you know, pointed he pointed the evidence at himself at that point by saying that um, we know from multiple sightings, including uh, Michael's mother, that the boys were on two bikes and that one of the other boys was on a, a skateboard. Uh, The final sighting of the boys had them riding into the Robin Hood Hills around 6.30. If the theory of Terry and David leaving West Memphis and heading to the Lakeshore Trailer Park uh, at 5.45 is true, then Terry and David could have theoretically ran into Buddy Lucas and LG Hollingsworth sometime around 6 p.m. since both LG and Buddy were last seen around Lakeshore that afternoon. And one of the most vital components of this story is whether uh, LG and Buddy had alibis for this night. Um, Now the writer says I admit that when I first read uh, the alleged buddy and LG confessions that he was skeptical He thought surely if it was a lie it would be discredited quickly by the known facts and information But the deeper that he dug the more that he realized that not only was there no evidence to discredit that these four men committed this murder All the known evidence supports the notion that they actually did do it So the writer of this is actually pointing all the evidence towards these four men And, uh, again, we're not trying to say that they are guilty. We're just going by, you know, you have the West Memphis Three that were accused of this. We have friends that actually say that, you know, that's what it is. That's what the court says. They are guilty. And then you have a lot of evidence that points at other people. And it's not just Terry Hobbs. I mean, there were other people that were actually accused of this crime as well. So, uh, again, what we're trying to do is show evidence uh, of another theory.
2: Well, Sean, to – to, to go into that, what you were talking about, the, the Lakeshore Trailer Park, is that uh, when the police interviewed Buddy's cousin, she recalled that her aunt said that Buddy left to go see Jesse sometime before the murders occurred, but not, did not return until the next day. And so you right. have Ridge interviewing these people, uh, Charlotte Bly, and, and, and uh, Ridge basically asked her, you know, her aunt's name, it's Irene Wilson. Uh, Irene told him something about the day he was murdered. Uh, Blythe's buddy um, left a few minutes before the kids got killed, and she said he didn't come back until the next day. Rich said okay. Blythe says later that afternoon, Rich says all right, did she know where he had been? She says no. Rich says okay, when he left, did he tell somebody where he was going? Blythe said he was supposed to go meet Jesse at, Lake- at Lakeshore. Okay, then he was at Lakeshore leaving to go somewhere, and Blythe said supposedly and then he goes into talking to. Now, when Jesse was fully investigated by the police, it never once came up that Jesse was with Buddy that night. In this in this interview, it never came up that he was with Buddy. And when the police finally did ask Buddy where he was at, the night, he claimed that he barbecued with his family and then brought over some barbecue chicken to Jesse, who ended up not being there. He claimed that along with his cousin Rex Heath, he gave Jesse's dad the barbecue chicken and went home. And this was according to Rex, and of course. There's a transcript of Bridges' conversation with with uh, this, the Heath character uh, as well. Uh, of course, you have Fogelman, the prosecutor, who interviewed Buddy later. Buddy repeatedly told him that he had an alibi for the defense despite the fact that Fogelman never even brought it up himself. Right. It's weird. It, it really is. You know, cause Buddy first says he has a man who will testify uh, he worked with Buddy all that day. And then later on in the conversation buddy claims that his boss would testify that he was at work on the fifth. And even if he did work on the fifth, the late afternoon night that's important, not not during the
0: day. I mean
2: this just gets child, we could spend a week talking about all of this, you know? Um, and and uh, so let's uh so let's move down in this John, kinda kinda take us down to where, you know, Get us let's progress this a little bit. Uh, well, actually, it is nine o'clock. If Michael is with us, Don, I think we need to go ahead and run a couple of of commercials for Talk Radio. We're going to take a, a real quick break. We'll be right back uh, with right. more here on Dark Persuasion on Talk Radio Forty Nine.
0: Each and every Thursday night, join Mr. Team Bring It and Nappy Boy as they bring you the Heels for Life podcast. A look at professional mainstream wrestling and all the headlines surrounding it for the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your one stop shop source for professional wrestling news and rumors. It's the Heels for Life podcast, live every Thursday night, right here on Talk Radio 49. Every Monday night, join the bad guy, Brad Hicks, the money man, Michael Carnahan, and, of course, the pretty boy, Sean Castleberry, as they bring you your humorous look at all current events going on in the world. It's the American Idiot Show live on Talk Radio 49. Every other Thursday night, right here on Talk Radio 49, join your hosts, Michael Carnahan and Cornbread, as they bring you the best wrap-up show in indie professional wrestling. It's the ASWF Aftermath Show, only on Talk Radio 49 and ASWF Wrestling's Facebook Live.
2: I guess that would be our speed to come back in. Kind of different without having Michael
3: live on the thing to bring us back in time, but we're back. One minute. Sorry.
0: I think that's another commercial, man. Every Tuesday night, join Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien for the Clear and Convincing podcast, live on Talk Radio 49, a look at... The most important cases in the country's history, not from the court of public opinion, but from the eyes of the court, every Tuesday night, live right here on Talk Radio 49. Michael Carnahan here, letting you know that it has never been easier to keep up with your favorite Talk Radio 49 podcast. If you like the American Idiot Show, go on over to Facebook, like the American Idiots podcast on Facebook, where we actually now offer a video streaming service with our podcast. So you can see us live as we record the show. Also, you can go to YouTube, search out American Idiots Podcast on YouTube, and you can l- subscribe to the page, and the video podcast will be uploaded there weekly. Also, Clear and Convincing on Tuesday nights, you can go ahead and like the Clear and Convincing podcast over on YouTube, subscribe, and the episodes are updated there weekly as well. And for our new show fans, hashtag Heels for Life. Once again, that- Hashtag H E E L S number four L Y F E wrestling podcast shows will be uploaded there weekly as well on YouTube. And if you are a fan of everything we offer here at Talk Radio 49 and you have an iPhone, go on over, search out Talk Radio 490, and you can subscribe to all of our content there on iTunes. Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast fixed. it's once again never been any easier to be a fan of Talk Radio 49 and keep up with all of your favorite shows.
2: And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. And that was the illustrious voice, Mike Fernand. He's updated himself. He updated that commercial. What the? Amazing. I like oh, yeah. it. I like it. I like it a lot. How is it, John? I mean, that was that was Michael putting some
3: work. Bro, It's put some work on that. I mean, did I, he actually well, made it did it it a signal. Like, Tuck Radio forty nine is like this really big major thing going on right now. I just uh, well, I sent I mean, him a little it, text. I was like, yeah, we got to get people to do some more shows on their own if they want to come join our radio station, and hell, we'll have two or three going a day. That'd be awesome. <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, my, I mean, you know, before we get back to what we were talking about, it's cool that 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 this whole thing started right here. This this was like right. me and you doing so many, you know, shows. We finally came up with the American Idiots, and then, you know, but yeah, like clear and convincing. If if you're if you're a huge fan of court documents and court cases according to the courts. Uh, Lisa O'Brien is a paralegal out of a paralegal out of New Orleans. She really right. does her research. I, I will give her that. We may have our disagreements, and I may have been fired at one time or another. But, <laughs> <laughs> but and I may have been fired at one time or another for some of the things that I say on American Idiots But to her credit, she's passionate, she's informative, it's educational. Right. Is that how you believe it? And so go check it out this night Hills for Life, I've, I've listened to it. It's a pretty cool show on Friday if you're into professional wrestling and you want that look. Uh, and, there, and there's there's guests and, and callers that come on that are the insiders in the business, and it's pretty cool. If you're into the local stuff around here, Aftermath is, is, a, is a neat show that you can listen to. Of course, you can come back tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We'll be joined by actually Money Mike, Don Castleberry, and myself. We're going to do the American Idiot Show. The show is ADT, apparently, according to certain people. But uh, you know, we just this lighthearted discussion on popular events and stuff that's happened. I know we've kind of gotten heavy lately, but we're going to try to back away from that a little bit. Maybe do another show without the music to talk about songs and stuff like that, and and guilty pleasures and things of that nature. But Sean, let's let's get back to what we're doing here. Sean, right? Can you okay, So can you get us kind of caught up through some of this? This mounting evidence uh, And statements here That where where we can Physically put him at, at J-Ray J-Wag J-Wag, not J-ray, J-wag.
3: Yeah so uh, basically uh, Mr. Hobbs Had Originally a Five hour window from statements That were you know said And that was shaped down to a three and a half Hour window uh, Again uh, this is well within the time frame of when these murders happened. Uh, most of the experts said that the, 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 the death actually happened around 7 p.m. And uh, he has no alibi uh, that's credible um, at that time. Between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m., no one really knows where he was. He's given his story. He's given his statement, but no one really knows. And... Now all of this is coming to light that he may have been at the murder scene engaging in homosexual acts. Now, I'm not trying to make homosexuality sound like some demonized thing, but this is just how it's portrayed um, You know, with homosexual acts with uh, three other men. And the theory goes that the boys – probably spying on these men and then we'll go into what else, what may have happened. But that's where we pretty much were right there. Uh, there's some physical evidence as far as like what one of the children had ate that kind of places, um, you know, that child being around the home. We have uh, circumstantial evidence as far as how Terry Hobbs actually treated his stepson, um, you know, different things like that, but the the real meat and potatoes of the evidence is about to come up and that's what we're about to hit
2: and Sean, I know that you uh, that you you know you you studied this in, in, in a lot of instances I was taking care of some business this afternoon and 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 last night you know and I, so I, I pointed and and, and, I, and I told you that you know, I remember you had asked me about that and I said well let me send you this site. I have a sense that uh, when you read this site again, ladies and gentlemen, please, for all intents and purposes, purpose of this show is for you. We, we just want to we we'll highlight what we're reading, and, and we're not. I don't consider it plagiarism. Is if I want to point you to this website, the west memphis puzzle, uh, the west memphis puzzle blog. In fact, just just for that purpose, right here, Sean, just for a second. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to stop this screen right here. But I'm going to share this screen with you because I want people to see what I'm talking about. This this is right here. So this is we're going to share that screen. So, look, this is what we're seeing. I'm going to put it on full space, Don. You can continue to talk if you would like. Uh, but this is what we're seeing. Look, this evidence. This is this is the, the the discovery site, the service road. There's the pilot. That's the actual crime scene footage of the pilot. wards. again. West the West Memphis Puzzle blog. It, it, it takes a little bit of time to read, but it's it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing, Sean. And I put that up there so that people could see where we're coming from. We're not out here plagiarizing, trying to, to, to live off the back of this man's work. But we want to help publicize his theory and his analogy of this because it is one of the most plausible scenarios, I believe, that, that could indict and indicate Mr. Terry Hobbs, David Jacoby, was and whoever, I forget the name, uh, in this. And like I said, if you believe that the West Memphis Three were convicted and rightly convicted, we're not dogging. We're not making fun of you. If you believe that Terry Hobbs did it, we're not. All we are is giving you the the information, and we also ask that you do some legwork yourself. Go read it, study it at your leisure when you have time, and because we're just we're just kind of giving you the the, the facts of it in a in a brief summation, you know, Sean. We're not we and, and and like I said, I don't I don't believe that the West Memphis Three did it. That has nothing to do with what we're doing tonight because. Right. Next week's show, John, I think that we should look at the innocence and guilt of the West Memphis three, the actual three. No, I kids. think we should, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know it, and it, it's interesting. You, you,
3: right. And, 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 you know, it, it's interesting what you brought up earlier, the history of Talk Radio 49. Um, you know, you and I have been doing this for, what, eight, nine years now? And uh, we started yeah, with so uh, the month. Right the mustache show, which turned into, uh, you know, American, the American idiots. And, and we did that for quite a while. And uh, Lisa O'Brien was a, a guest on that show talking about the West Memphis three. That's how we met her. And uh, she went on with Michael to create clear and convincing. And that's what they do. They, they talk about the evidence that's in the court And, you know, they're very stern about that, and and that's what they want to go. So if that's the type of show that you want to listen to and you really want to see what the court's point of view is, boom, clear and convincing. Now, if you want public opinion and you want to look at all the evidence and where it could possibly go and all the open possibilities for for a free-thinking mind, that's our show. That's what this show is about, Dark Persuasions. When we do a show like this, we're going to try to show you all the different possibilities that could pop, you know, that could happen. Because uh, we do know that some people have been uh, falsely arrested, falsely convicted. And uh, we want to try to figure out, you know, where this story goes. Because it doesn't stop with Terry Hobbs. There are other suspects, it doesn't stop with the West Memphis three. There are other suspects. I mean, this is a crazy story, very crazy story. But go ahead.
2: And I think, I think, Sean, one of the things, too, that, that you have to bring up in this is, is Bojangles, Mr. Bojangles. I mean, that's an aspect. Right. That's an aspect. And if you watch uh, the Oxygen channel not too long ago, uh, they came out with a deal. Now, there was, I don't know, the evidence really never presented itself. Uh, obviously, that was filmed in 2018, 2020. I never saw it come up. But they had a military guy that that showed the plausibility of, from the murder scene, along the ditch, to where he would have been muddied and, and everything, to getting to the Bojangles restaurant, it could be done. It's been proven that he did. So it could be done. It's not like this, ever, this possible to, to be not be seen. He actually followed the water trail in the evening and made it. Now, he was a military type guy, so he was trained in the art of stealth movement and really crafted. But he did So it's possible. And they never—they had blood and, and blood samples. The cop that showed up the very first time was drive-through. But so that's a different. I don't want to—I don't want to inundate your mind with facts about something we're not talking about right now. So the boat angle theory will probably accompany into the West Memphis Free because there's not a whole lot there that we can really go on other than what's out there because there's just not enough evidence. They didn't test the DNA. It went bad. The blood. So who knows? We'll talk about that next week. I think we'll couple those two together. But this one, Sean, uh, I'm just going through this deal. You know, I keep seeing these boards. Sean, what is the significance of these boards and, and where they were found? Uh, since you studied this in more detail than I have uh, in recent times, they show these clubhouse clubs in these woods. Now, I'll tell you this. Those woods aren't there anymore. The ditch isn't there anymore. It was cleared years ago. Oh, it doesn't look right. the same. So, Charlotte, I think we should, we, we've, got, we've got a timeline established. We've got vegetables established that puts puts Stevie potentially at the home, having ate the vegetables. We've got him at the, uh, we've got Terry Hobbs and, and the homosexual affair going on, this, that, and the other. Where are we at right now if we were basically presenting this as a court case, Sean.
3: Um. I,
2: there's just so much.
3: Okay. Yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing. Where do you start? Um. Clearly, there there's just so much information here. I mean, when you look at the trial, you look at the West Memphis Three and all the the allegations that they brought against them, what the evidence that they did, uh, and then you see this, and you're just your mind is blown because you're like, what the fuck? Like, seriously, the police didn't look at any of this stuff? I mean, I'm looking at a photo of all the boards that were laying there on the ground, these boards that could have actually been used to actually murder these kids. Um, The clubhouse, like you said, um, uh, all that's been cleared now. That that crime scene's gone. You know, we we should go with Michael out there to that area. We should actually go out there and do just a live feed one day and just actually talk a little bit. You know, take take a day to go out there and actually uh, talk about this because I mean, this this is a subject that we've uh, we've gone over in several shows, several episodes, different things, and uh, we definitely need to do all that. And uh, oh yeah, there you are. There's some of the pictures um, that you just shared. Uh, yeah, um, the ditch uh, where the body was at, right there. That's where I'm going to right now. Um, the, the possible bite marks, the ligatures uh everything that happened um, yeah yep that yep, that one right there, that bite mark right there uh you know, there was a weird theory about that too, like how the bite mark was uh, actually done uh if and I didn't know this, but one thing I don't know if this is true or not, but when I read this, I thought it was really odd that when 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 homosexuals uh kill. They tend to bite people on the face. Now, I don't know if that's credible. That's what was here on this. Uh, that that was the claim that was made. I thought it was interesting if Terry Hobbs was, you know, a closet homosexual. Yeah, he bit this kid on the face right there above his eye. This would, this would have been his stepson. You know, that's, that's just some creepy shit, man. Like, why would you bite? Ugh. Anyway, uh, you know,
2: what do you guys it's, it's crazy, John. I showed some of the video, some of the page. Again, I encourage everybody to go to it. It is very interesting. Look, well, so I'm kind of going through there. you know, I was looking at these crime scene photos, and, and it says, looking at the photos of the ditch where the boys were found, you can begin to have an understanding of what might have occurred. Uh, here's uh, Ridge found Michael Moore first just south of that crooked tree. And, and, and as we're talking about it, I'll go ahead and, and place that back up on the screen. Just I'll take our pictures off for a minute. Um, so literally by this crooked tree, uh, that just just out of the ground in the photo on the far left. Now when you realize that Michael's body was found by the tree and not where he was placed on the bank, you can conclude cl- two things potentially. Number one, he was probably five or ten feet from the other boys, not 25, as some people believe. Number two, he was most likely placed near the tree because the perpetrators used the tree as a support when they entered the water. That right here, see, and, and here's the I don't know if you can see that, Sean. Uh, this this yeah. right here. Uh, it says that Jacoby and Hobbs. Uh, entered the water and began to submerge the boys deep in the mud in order to keep them from floating. Now, that when you realize that LG and Buddy were most likely above the ditch, handing the boys' bodies to the men, you can begin to see exactly what a difficult task this was if done alone. It seems extremely unlikely that one person would have been able to do this on their own in such a short period of time, or especially alone at time, with people swarming the area. Uh, Right. It goes on to say, if they, if the men submerge the boys, the writer believes that the two teens took the bikes to the body where they dumped them on the north side of the pipe. And when they returned, the four men continued to submerge the boys' clothes with sticks and finally hastily threw the last items of clothing in the water as it grew dark. We have to. Okay, you can look at this photo, John, uh, and you can see where my mouse is at right here. You see the shadow. In the daylight, I can only imagine that that sun starts to creep. This is a wooded area, so right. uh, you can imagine. And I, I'm going to take that off screen for a moment, go back to the video, and I'm going to actually look for a picture of that area back then, son. Uh, while we're while we're here, so go ahead and kind of walk us through where we're at on this, and 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 this point, because. We're almost at the end, uh, where we're going to get to the the evidence, the weapons, things like that. So, kind of walk us through what we're we're seeing here, as far as this this analysis goes.
3: You want me to pick up right where you left off there?
2: Uh, yeah, if you can. There's a lot of information.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so when the boys were found along with their clothes the following day, there were two pairs of underwear, five socks missing from the crime scene. Uh, The writer's belief is that these items were used to clean up the crime scene, and that they could have done that. They could have cleaned up blood. They could have cleaned up the boards. Uh, There's all sorts of things that they could have done with that, but those items were clearly missing. Uh, The writer also believes that Terry would have taken those items with him when they left. He He thinks that it's likely that Terry took the boards with him as well to dispose of later or had it thrown in the bayou. Uh, He also theorizes that uh, they cleaned up the blood from Chris's injuries by scraping up the mud, grass, leaves, blood, and throwing him into a drainage ditch. The theory was supported by police who were at the crime scene. Apparently, there was a bank near the ditch that appeared to have been slicked down and cleaned off to the point that there was no grass or leaves at all in the area. Um, There's also this other thing as far as uh, stray dogs were in the area. Uh, one of the other theories is that stray dogs may have, you know, came along and licked up all the blood. And uh, it was known that there were a lot of stray dogs and stray cats in this area. So, again, uh, this murder could have happened. All sorts of animals come through and just licked up most of this blood after they had cleaned up the rest of it. Um, there was animal hair uh, on the bodies as well, which makes sense because, again, stray dogs, stray cats that were in the area. Um, let's see, Terry, Terry himself had claimed, uh, that he had been in the woods, uh, that night, all night, up until the early morning, and it could have given him ample time to finish cleaning that area, uh, if he had broken away from, you know, the search parties that were there, uh, let's see, Prince at the scene, Sean, uh, I just want
2: oh, to, yeah. cut you off, Sean, but, you know, yeah. if you want to talk real quick, because we got a little bit of time, we're getting close. But I don't want to. I don't want to shorten it up. I'm showing on the screen, and I'm sure that you can see it too. This is what it looks right. like, and it has all the entry points, the discovery of the bodies. So we can assume from the statement that I made, and, I, and I'm so sorry I didn't cut you off. I just wanted to get that out there. You can tell no, it's that it good. probably got really dark in there. You know, and, and Sean, if there's any evident pictures that, that you want me to look up so we, that we can share with our audience to give them the best information possible, just at any time let me know. I'll do some search while you're talking, and we'll put that information up there as we're talking. Because I really want to get people out there the understanding of what we're dealing with, not what you're seeing. Because you can go there today, and, and literally, if I could take my mouth over this, all of this is gone. This is gone. Yeah, this is, there's a little bit more here. There's a hotel over here. I've been there. There's pictures on my Facebook. I'm have taken pictures on the pipe. I don't know if you've seen them, But you know, because we were in the area years ago, me and Michael, and I wanted to see it. And and it was close to real, being there. There's actually a GPS spot where you can stand where the bodies were found. It's flat ground, open, obvious, out. Knowing that you were there, you know, where this occurred really was a surreal moment, but I'm sorry, I will be popping images up and and down the screen, Uh, Mm -hmm. and and one of the ones that I do want to put up here uh, while you're talking is I am going to show a picture of Terry Hobbs, just so people can kind of get an idea uh, of who we are speaking about uh, when it comes to...
3: So, so as this kept going, as I kept reading, you know, uh, about all this evidence and everything, there was a... substantial you know evidence uh, brought forward about Terry Hobbs and his sexual relationship uh, towards his children. Uh, it has been th- there have been accusations made that he sexually abused his daughter, his stepson. Um, there were marks on the child's body, his stepson's body that clearly had been made over previous sexual encounters. Uh, The fact that he hadn't been there before suggests that, you know, if Terry Hobb was this predator, if he was doing this, then he's probably the one uh, that put these marks on his stepson. The mother of this child has accused him of this. The entire family has come along and accused him of this. In fact, uh, he shot his brother-in-law over this, and he ended up dying about a month later. I'm sorry, about a year later. Due to complications from a 357 Magnum shot to the gut um, But uh, You know Well known drug addict You know accusations of Homosexuality again that's not a bad thing But the fact that he's trying to play it straight As a closet homosexual That you know the dishonesty The deception what he's doing there If he's out there hiding in the woods Having sex with strange men His stepson sees him He's enraged Kills him he has to kill the other boys. The knots that he tied – I'm sorry. The knots that were tied on the bodies may have come from him um, because they were very specific knots that are used in butchering and how you tie hogs. And that, that's a telltale. Uh, and, and the smoking gun – which uh, I guess uh, I'll let I'll let Brad reveal that because I don't want to reveal too much. I like it when Brad does it, but there is a smoking gun that points directly to Terry Hobbs, and, and I'll let Brad handle that right now.
2: Well, Sean, you would ask me that. Give me just a minute. I've got to pull that slide back up.
3: Um, okay. I mean, if you want me to say Sean, it, I'll, I'll go and say you. it.
2: Go ahead. Just go ahead and do it. I'm, I'm actually looking up something. Uh, the, I'm curious about what you said about the hog tie.
3: Can... right, right, right. Okay. So uh, within one of the knots that was tied in in a very specific way was a hair, and that hair. Oh, the DNA. I got. It. I don't
2: remember.
3: The 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 DNA evidence showed that that probably came from Terry Hops, and it was like a one in seven billion chance that it could be anybody else. Um, I maybe that number's wrong, um, but you know his hair was there now, could his hair have been on the body because that's his stepson? Could the other boys who have come to his house? Sure, you know, um, again, it's circumstantial, but the fact that it was tied within the knot, that clearly shows that whoever tied that knot, boom, there's that hair I don't i I mean. I'm looking at that from reason. I mean it's not empirical but yeah. I mean you're looking at all this circumstantial evidence, you're piling it all, you know, on top of each other. Again, I keep doing that. Uh but if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, you know, this guy probably killed his stepson and these kids. You know, that that's my opinion. And unfortunately the West Memphis three got convicted of this. They spent almost twenty years uh in prison for this. And uh, you know the circumstantial evidence that 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 was held against was enough to convict them in the court, and they did the offered plea, and yeah, they're out now.
2: Terry Hobbs hasn't well, seen so a day. I think, yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm just I'm just reading. So it's it's insane because it says here that. He went back and he read all the autopsy reports and intended to do it perfectly. And he says it's just too difficult to do. At least he's been trying to bridge what Peretti said happened with what the defense expert said. Now, they both have a bias. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Basically, anything that both sides agree with, I consider to be a fact because it's not undisputed. One thing that they did agree upon is, if you read between the lines, is that Chris was dead before he was put in water. Peretti believed that... that um, and the Eccles defense team, although claiming that Chris must have drowned, all admitted that Chris died while he was being tied up. Even the autopsy reports show that, as the experts have agreed, uh, that Freddie's that autopsy reports were written exquisitely. So they, all these experts have agreed that Freddie did an amazing job on, these, on his autopsy. And they happen to not agree with all of his interpretations, but uh, anyway, some of the things in the autopsy report says show us. What does the autopsy report show us, John? It's going to show us that Chris was alive when being tied up, but he died before being finished tied up. Right. Freddie even agrees that Chris has post-mortem wounds in his groin area as well as pre-mortem. agrees that there was injury right. to the groin after death, right in the autopsy report. But there's also had to be an injury there to begin with. He writes that there is a sign of emerging. Now, it appears that the boys were punched at least a little bit. They did have contusions, bruises, which had to be have happened before death, on their ears, under their eyes, over the head, forehead, and each boy had indication of being punched because the contusions did not have deep lacerations within them. If a weapon had been used to create all the injuries, then there would have been major cuts and lacerations with both contusions. Uh, just like there was on the boy's head. So although at least some experts said the boys were not punched, I don't believe that that's true at all. I believe that their bias came into play when they claimed that, just like they claimed Chris Brown, even though they admitted he died before he was put in the So there's a lot of telling evidence in the, in the autopsy report that's listed here. Now, here's one, John, that's interesting. And it, this goes into that physical evidence point. Stevie had bruises right. on the back of his hands, indicating he had put up a fight, indicating that just like the four perk should indicate, right. Stevie was alive the longest. Michael was almost immediately rendered unconscious, I believe because he was attacked first. Chris had bruises on his inner and outer thigh, indicating he was held down and his legs were held apart. Why else would Chris have patterned bruises on his thigh? Could be finger marks. They're saying that he was held down very quickly so that Terry could stab and bite him. That means that Chris would have not fought that much because after being stabbed, he probably would have been very weak. And this is all speculation according to what he's garnered from the autopsy. But it it, it needs to be mentioned. Now, what you can't tell from the autopsy report was if Stevie struggled in his ligatures or not. And now he knows that all experts agree that Michael was unconscious while he was tied up, but we don't know about Steve. And I think that's open to interpretation, uh, according to this. He also says during the trial that about ten times that the weapon was probably a two-by-four. The prosecution would mention a stick, and Paredes kept saying, or a two-by-four. We know that the boys' clubhouse was right next to a pile of two-by-fours, which again supports the notion that the boys were discovered right by their clubhouse.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I remember during the, uh, the news reports, they talked about sticks, you know. Uh, they didn't mention two-by-fours, but uh, the clubhouse was there, and the clubhouse, you know, they said that it was built like a, uh, like a deer stand but on the ground, and there were a lot of two-by-fours on the ground there. So uh, why the police would have said that it was sticks and not a two-by-four, that was just misleading, uh, maybe they just didn't want all that information out. Maybe they were trying to find the real killer. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I always thought that was odd.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Charlie, you know, we've, uh, we've been there, you know, we've been there as a kid. We played uh, in the, in the woods. We, we, you know, and you find, like, as a kid, you find any object you can and you stack it up there, you know? Uh, and I'm sure that they probably find some old two by fours. They laid it out as a as a wall or a fort in these woods. And let's be honest, I mean, it's really gotta be cool to have those woods there because, you know, that's just the place to explore to play around. uh and no and, and and going through all of this, we do have to mention this has got access to I forty. I forty is running right there with you. so there that, that's what makes this case even more interesting is there are so many avenues of where you could go. This is just one of. Uh, and like I said, you know, we're just laying out the narrative that, uh, of for Terry Hobbs' innocence or guilt, however much you want to take it. But I think next week when we do the, the whole Westminster 3 show, on the Westminster 3 anyway is what I should say, is you're not going to find, I don't think, the evidence that mounts up like this. And we're gonna give right. you the evidence. I mean, Sean, I, I think that people need to understand we're not gonna to try to sell you on their innocence. We're gonna sell you on the information that's out there, whether it's damning or not, and let you formulate your opinion. And we're gonna talk about evidence that didn't make it into trial. And some of it, Sean, is not good in favor of the West Three. But we're gonna put it out there because that's what we wanna do. We're not out here to, to sell you a documentary for our opinion of, you know what I'm saying we wanna give you everything that's out there. And and right. and you know, some of it Sean I've looked at it and it makes me think, but this right here has been some of the most compelling evidence that I go, Where where was this? You know? Why? Why was this not looked at? And and I think they threw the the the, the affidavit the hundred and thirty two page affidavit that they filed on this whole theory.
0: Uh, now, this guy right.
2: did his homework, so I don't know how long it's been. Wow, he really did a great job. But I think they threw this out right. of court uh, based on something. I don't remember why, but. Well, I mean, you yeah, know, well, again, the it.
3: the police had their narrative. They they, they they knew what they wanted, and they they had their story. The prosecution had their witnesses, you know, especially that evangelical guy that that, that that came in, that hack, that tried to say that this was some kind of satanic ritual. And, I mean, the guy spent days on, on you know, on, on the stand trying to paint this narrative, uh, scaring the jurors at the time. Again, this is during satanic panic, so I'm sure these jurors were just like, wow, you know, we got satanists here, and they probably did this. And, uh, you know, it, it was all biased to turn the jury against you know the West Memphis three so yeah I mean that's the reality of it again this show is about showing you all the possibilities have an open mind be a free thinker look at anything that could possibly happen because uh you know almost anything is possible when you actually look at it if the evidence points that way and like 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 Brad said, we're going to show you uh, the evidence for the West Memphis three next week, and that might sway you against them. I don't know. Uh, for years, I've gone back and forth, fifty-fifty. You know, did they do it? Did they not do it? Did they? I don't know. Terry Hobbs, maybe the other guy, Byers, he might have done it. Who knows? You know, who, who's Mr. Bojangles? We still don't know anything about that guy. I want to know who that guy is. They never found video or anything of that guy. That's just amazing to me.
2: Well, and I think, too, though, I think they would have video evidence, but it just wasn't possible. not in 1993. Right. But, uh, um, but, but going back real quick, uh, we've got about 20 minutes before the show's over. Michael's back. So, Sean, I think we need – here's what I say we'll do, because I'm, I'm really liking the, what's out there on the show right now. Michael, go ahead and take us to – Go ahead and play that commercial spot one more time, and we'll be right back here on Talk Radio 49, uh, here on the Dark Persuasions podcast, to wrap things up and finish this out for this Sunday night. Go ahead, Michael. You're listening to Dark Persuasions on Talk Radio 49 and the Facebook Live video feed. Mm
0: Each and every Thursday night, join Mr. Team Bring It and Nappy Boy as they bring you the Heels for Life podcast. A look at professional mainstream wrestling and all the headlines surrounding it for the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your one stop shop source for professional wrestling news and rumors. It's the Heels for Life podcast, live every Thursday night, right here on Talk Radio 49. Every Monday night, join the bad guy, Brad Hicks, the money man, Michael Carnahan, and of course, the pretty boy, Sean Castleberry, as they bring you your humorous look at all current events going on in the world. It's the American Idiot Show live on Talk Radio 49. Mm -hmm. Every other Thursday night right here on Talk Radio 49. Join your hosts, Michael Carnahan and Cornbread, as they bring you the best wrap-up show in indie professional wrestling. It's the ASWF Aftermath Show, only on Talk Radio 49 and ASWF Wrestling's Facebook Live. Tuesday night join michael carnahan and lisa o'brien for the clear and convincing podcast live on talk radio 49 a look at the most important cases in the country's history not from the court of public opinion but from the eyes of the court every tuesday night live right here on talk radio 49 Michael Carnahan here, letting you know that it has never been easier to keep up with your favorite Talk Radio 49 podcast. If you like the American Idiot Show, go on over to Facebook. Like the American Idiots Podcast on Facebook, where we actually now offer a video streaming service with our podcast so you can see us live as we record the show. Also, you can go to YouTube, search out American Idiots Podcast on YouTube, and you can subscribe to the page, and the video podcast will be uploaded there weekly. Also, Clear and Convincing on Tuesday nights, you can go ahead and like the Clear and Convincing podcast over on YouTube. Subscribe, and the episodes are updated there weekly as well. And for our new show fans, hashtag Heels4Life, once again, that's... Hashtag H-E-E-L-S, number four, L-Y-F-E Wrestling Podcast. Shows will be uploaded there weekly as well on YouTube. And if you are a fan of everything we offer here at Talk Radio 49 and you have an iPhone, go on over, search out Talk Radio 490, and you can subscribe to all of our content there on iTunes. Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts fixed, it's once again never been any easier to be a fan of Talk Radio 49 and keep up with all of your favorite shows.
2: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? We are back again. We thank you. This inaugural episode here, we've got around fifteen minutes left. Um. If you've liked the show so far, you know, go like the page, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Um, but, yeah, we want to do some paranormal talk as well as going on forward after we, we wrap all this stuff up real fast. And, and uh, so we definitely want some input. You know, what do you want us to talk about? Uh, you know, certain events? Um, or, you know, maybe proof of, of the paranormal? I know Sean's a skeptic, but... You know, we have the ability now to screen video. so, you know, Sean, maybe we could right. look at examples of paranormal and show YouTube videos and, and dissect them and possibly say, well, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Um, right. Well, and, and, you know,
3: and that's what a lot, a lot of people probably don't know paranormal. about the show. Yeah, uh, what, what I was saying is that what a lot of people don't know about the show is, like, we do that podcast with Michael called The American Idiots where we talk about current events and politics and different things like that. And it's a little lighthearted, and we try to laugh and have fun. But this is more of a – like like coast to coast with, uh, with, with, with Nori, you know? Um, we wanted to talk about, you know, court cases that are unsolved. We wanted to talk about paranormal events. We wanted to talk about, you know, uh, things that are unexplained, you know, uh, just try to have fun with that type of experience. Uh, that people have in their life. And of course, yeah, Brad is the believer and I'm the skeptic, which is cool. Uh because I wanna see the evidence. I wanna see all that stuff. Um you know, we could go to the Gurdon Lights. That's a big thing here in Arkansas. We could go uh there's, what there's a big haunted house, what, a hotel in Hot Springs, right? There's something like that. You got the Falcon Monster. Springs. Ah, Eureka Springs. And then you got the Falcon Monster down there, there towards Texarkana. Uh there's all sorts of crazy know? stuff around here. You know, I'm not big on Bigfoot. You know, if I saw that shit, that would probably freak me the fuck out. But, uh, you know, I don't don't, don't think there is one. But, yeah, let's go check this shit out. If people have ideas and they want us to go and do something, let us know.
2: A lot of people don't remember, too. There was a movie back in the 60s or 70s, uh, Legend of Boggy Creek.
3: Yep. Yep. That's why I'm not crazy about Bigfoot.
2: Exactly. But, strong, you know, not getting off topic to go ahead and kind of figure out how to wrap this up. I think the final note that needs to be made is that David Jacoby is the key to this case. Um, it's indisputable that he lied to the police and under penalty of perjury in order to protect Hobbs from either being further investigated and or arrested. If you read his full right. interview and declaration, they both give Hobbs an alibi and they both make it impossible for Hobbs. Have committed the crime without Jacoby having noticed something peculiar about Hobbs. These statements have protected Hobbs for seven years. Then in 2013, Jacoby was summoned to court over the alleged confessions of Bunny Lucas and Elsie Hollingsworth, and it was only then that Jacoby publicly admitted that Hobbs had left for two hours that night. He finally admits that, that that he left. And in reading this down here, it says Jacoby knew that Hobbs was with Pam at nine. He clearly meant that Hobbs had left for two hours that Jacoby had previously claimed they were together. This is so hugely right. significant and yet lost on so many. As this statement proves indisputably that David Jacoby lied.
3: Right. Um. <clears throat> sorry. Um.
2: No, I'm just. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just, I don't. I did, I, I, yeah. I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Me. So adamant about Damian Echols lying and, and this, but this proves that he didn't. That, that he lied, and and it's.
3: Yeah, and I guess that's, that's the same thing that I'm thinking. At the same time, you know, it's like. They had all this circumstantial evidence against Damien Eccles and the West, you know, the other two guys, and you know they couldn't keep their story straight, their alibis, all this, this and that. But then you look at this guy, Terry Hobbs, and you look at his associates and the people that he was hanging around with. It's the same fucking thing. It's a great big giant smorgasbord of shit, and they've lied. And they've been caught in their lies, and, you know, there's all these allegations and things that could have happened. Yeah, you know what? It wasn't a bunch of Satanists. It was just some, some asshole that was out there trying to get his jollies off with with a bunch of dudes and some kids saw him. So he fucking killed them, maybe. I mean, that's the possibility. Uh, don't want to get sued here. Um, but, you know, uh, the evidence kind of shows that. So, yeah, I, I guess that's where we're at. We'll find out next week, right?
2: Well, yeah, and you know, I think in summing this all up, you know, so he he's interfered in a police investigation, admitted to it publicly. Uh, then you have to ask yourself, why would he lie to protect Hobbs? Why would he openly admit he lied in 2013? You know, and, right. and that's where he says, "I think those questions have been answered." Jacoby is adamant to anyone who listens that Hobbs is not his friend. Yeah. So that would prove it that there that are time only and two reasons. Yeah, that there And that, that proves that there are only two reasons why Jacoby would lie to protect Hobbs. It's either because he participated in the murders himself, yes. or he knows Hobbs did it, and he has known it for many years. Now, why would he right. publicly and openly admit that he lied under the penalty of perjury in police back in 07? The guy believes it's because the truth is finally, and for the very first time been exposed, Jacoby likes himself at the time. That the only thing to do would be to protect himself was to put himself as far away from Hobbs as possible. Is there any other reason why he didn't on national television that he lied? What this shows us is that Jacoby knows the truth, he knows something, and it's about time that we put some pressure on him for some real answers. And that's the summation for Terry Hobbs according to the West Memphis Puzzle dot Again, please go check that out. Curious of the information And now Michael is listening to The show uh, You know Yeah, Deanna, we, yeah, the Crescent Hotel uh, Is Brick, is, uh, thank you For your answer But, uh you know, and Michael Who can maybe ask The existence, I was fired If he doesn't talk to
4: me really hold on. Uh,
2: Can act the affidavit Thrown out of I believe it was dismissed, so I'm not real sure exactly where uh, that was going. Um, I don't know why, so I'd like to, you know, I wish, I tried to get that information, uh, but it was not, so uh, I went ahead and uh, just wanted to put that out there. Trying to find something here, Sean, because I, you know, I don't, I don't like uh, when we talk about this case. A lot of, a lot of gets made about the West Memphis me here. Alright, so what I'm going to do, Sean, is I'm going to put this on the screen so that the people can see it. These ladies and gentlemen for why I am interested in this so much. It's because I want justice for those three kids. Right? Now. Those three kids should be with us today. They should be in their mid right. thirties. They should have lived, you know, let's let's hope that they would have had, you know, fulfilled lives and their own kids and their own families and such, and maybe moved out of their census and and done some. Who knows? Maybe they would have been one of uh, those kids: Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Uh, Stevie branch would be the one on your right. Ford would be in the middle, Mr. Byers, I believe is on the left. Uh, those three kids right there. In fact, I'm not me out there. I want to put those three kids up there as we get ready to, to wrap this show up because they're the ones that I feel, for. uh, Sean, those kids right there. What was that
3: last thing you said?
2: I said, those are the kids that I feel for right there. Uh, the the victims right. of it, these lives that were lost and then, and and that, that's that's right. the kids right there then, that I and I'm gonna put them up there and so people that can see them and and I think that's why that's why I'm so adamant about this case in a lot of ways is because right when we when we do this next Sunday you know you may come out of this and go oh, guys the real killers were put to justice but I can tell you this John on the aspect of the Terry Hobbs talk while we're talking about it, is, and and I think that this is where I'm going to bring up the alpha plea when it comes to that, is because I believe that they've had, they didn't have this evidence, though. So I take that back. I almost misspoke. Uh, This was in 2013. The alpha plea was entered in 2011. I think the state realized that they didn't have much of a case if they were to retry it. And so they, the road of least resistance and liability for potentially imprisoning uh, the, the West Memphis Three. Whether they did it or not, Sean, I don't think there was enough evidence, and we're going to go through that, with what was presented for a retrial that would have convicted them, which would have meant they would have owed them a little, a ton of money. And I think the state found, now the defense did bring up the Alford plea. It was the defense that did Wasn't the prosecution, but the prosecution accepted it. But I think one of the telling things about all of that, and that'll be an, but just some little meat on the bone for next week when they issued the Alfred plea. Jason Baldwin did not want to accept the Alfred plea. He wanted to go ahead with a retrial, but he did it after he was convinced because Damien Eccles was on death row and, and and was close, literally. Right, oh. he was almost executed. So again,
1: yeah, if
3: Damien, you know, just, if Damian Eccles had to take that offer plea, he'd be dead today, you know, because Arkansas went through that 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 phase last year where they killed all those people that were on death row. Right,
2: and I mean, listen, we're not going to get into the semantics, of politics, and stuff like that on this show, but it is it is food for thought to to bring that up, uh, but you know. Again, like we're three minutes out of this show. We hope you've enjoyed it. We've had some issues running in at the very first, because usually Michael's a part of the show and the setup that we're going with. And so, you know, we had to figure out that how to get to work. We hope you've enjoyed it. We really did. We hope you've enjoyed it. But again, the case against Terry Hobbs and wrapping this kind of up real quick, Sean, is that, I mean, I've seen more for the conviction of Terry Hobbs, Jacoby, and all of those guys that I've seen against the West Memphis Three. Again, as we do our research going into next week, we may find out different, and, and I will let people know that, that that I'm not 100% told that the West Memphis Three didn't do it. I'm like 60, right. 40, 70, 30 on there. end. It's part of me that believes that they can tackle and they're have had something to do it, or they did it, but there's a majority part of me that thinks they can do it based on the evidence that's on the way right they so want to get that out there that would be my closing statement here on dark right. persuasion. again we hope that you, that you enjoyed what we put together tonight uh john you have any final thoughts as we, as we move forward towards the end of the show
3: no just that uh you know this is what we want to do we want to bring up these possibilities we want to bring up these different angles to look at different cases you know like jean benet ramsey That's an unsolved murder that we'll probably never know anything about. O.J. Simpson, did he really do it? Did he not do it? Was he acquitted because he didn't, because of racism, or what? We don't know. But these are the types of things we're going to talk about. We're going to look at every piece of evidence, not just what the court accepted, not just what they want to do, but we're going to look at everything. You know, when we do these paranormal shows, we're going to try to find out if there's something out there that we can actually believe in, you know, uh, Old, uh let's see. I can point my hand right there. Old Fox Mulder over there, and I'm I'm Dana Scully because I'm the pretty one, you know.
1: <laughs>
3: but we're gonna have some, we're gonna have some fun with this. We're we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do and actually try to entertain you while we do it.
2: Right, and and you know, too Sean on on, uh, and, and I think, I mean, I think too though, you know, that we've actually had a paranormal experience on Blog Talk Radio during an interview that I did for behind the curtain. No kidding. Yes, no kidding. And we'll talk about that on you know, should we do a lesson three next week or should we do a paranormal? Should we put that together? Should we fix we it up a little? Tell you what we're gonna do. That's what we'll do. Next week right. we're gonna we're gonna do paranormal. We're gonna talk about experiences. We're gonna pull videos, we're gonna dissect what we see, what we whatever so send the video in. If you have your own paranormal experience, let us know. Oh, yeah, I would love that. Let us know. Help. Call into the show, 347 1171 Tell us your experience. I mean, for real. Because let's do this. Because I want to tell you all next week, as I was doing an interview with a gentleman in North Carolina, and, and, and Michael Carnahan, we'll bring him on the show for this next week to talk about this. We had an EVP recorded on our airway. And you can go back and listen to it. I think I deleted it. But, yes, it was there, and we'll talk about that next week. Where's the chick that tells us to tell us off? He's doing another. There's 10 What's the problem? Michael, are we off or are we doing? I don't know if
3: we're off. Yeah, we – I think uh no, we're so I mean, I guess we're off the the live feed for blog talk, but uh yeah, we so oh. we're, we're at
2: two two hours and thirteen minutes. I've had fun, John. It was a great show, I think we had some issues at the beginning. We had a ton of information again. I'm gonna go ahead before we go off the air. I want to put this out there for you to to kind of have an idea of where we got our information from. Uh, yeah. see, right here. Look, go right there. Where you go, click that link right there. Study that for yourself. We we actually read verbatim a lot of what he said, but we didn't cover everything in detail. You can see the pictures. That website right there is where we got that information from. I really That's wish a great that site. I could find out the author of that and talk to. Or on the show. And we may end up doing that at some point, trying to find who wrote that. So, anyway. But yeah, I would like um, to. I'd love that. That'd I mean, be cool. Uh, also, you know, we'll talk. Uh, but paranormal next week is on. Uh, so, get ready. i oh, trying oh, to high oh, five oh, you. Social, social distancing, <laughs> we got
1: to
2: do Right? Anyway, yeah. Just Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for, for being a part of our inaugural show. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, fun. But anyway, Michael, go ahead and do we have anything to take us out or are we just going to end it hot? What are we doing? Because we're like live. Did
1: Yeah. Hey,
2: boss.